This is Breaking the 180, the podcast where we look at everything film-related, past, present, and future, and what's going on right now, which is going to be the subject of today's Do We Recommend? Which will be on probably one of the biggest movies of the year. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, by that, I mean The Menu. Yes, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. Uh, we'll get into that in a in a few minutes, but uh, I wish it was the menu. It it actually would be uh, would be nice if audiences go check out um, that that little dark gem. Uh, but no, we are actually going to uh, talk about along with the menu, uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. We know what you whisper. They have lost their protector. Now is our time to strike. Which needs little introduction as the sequel to 2018's, uh, well, I guess you could, I mean, yeah, definitely you could call it groundbreaking Black Panther uh, by director Ryan Coogler, uh, which has become more than just a movie. It's become a pop cultural staple and I would argue uh, one of the key contributors to what we can consider an ongoing renaissance in black American representation in in movies no absolutely um I think I think you really said it best uh, when I saw Black Panther I, I enjoyed it definitely but I saw it more as the cultural significance yeah. of the movie was more important than the quality of the movie itself. Uh, it's definitely not bad. No, not at all. It's it's definitely quite solid. It has a, excellent soundtrack, some good performances. And, of course, the big elephant in the room or the big panther in the room, which would be mm. Chadwick Boseman, who passed away uh, last year, a couple years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Now, uh, two years ago, he passed away from uh, colon cancer, which, by all accounts, uh, was you know tragic in the literal sense of the word because it was unexpected by um, the filmmakers themselves. Boseman had been uh, signed for this sequel. Well, he was still making all these Marvel movies yeah. while he had it, and other films. He was doing. He was branching out into cop thrillers, and uh, his last role was uh, this uh, um, Netflix film uh, about uh, Chicago uh, blues history in the 20s, Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom. And it was very good good performance. Which the Oscars, probably one of the most disgusting thing they did was try and bait people two years ago uh, into doing uh, Best Actor Last. Oh, as yes. As if Chadwick Boseman was going to win it. And then they gave it to Hopkins for um, uh, the father. Yes, the father. Yes, which which undoubtedly is a great performance. But I'm talking about I'm not talking about who has a better performance because they were both great. But what I guess ABC did in leading people on, I thought was just disgusting. Uh, it's it's what happens in the the age of uh, media dominance, um, but. A better tribute to Boseman does come in the form of the sequel, also directed by Ryan Coogler, who famously had to restructure the screenplay for 
Wakanda forever following the the passing of Bozeman. And I'm guessing Feige, too, probably had to restructure the entire Marvel Universe, which is why I'm guessing this Phase 4, which includes all the TV shows, which have mostly been eh, and the movies, which have been wildly inconsistent, have been that way, a little bit directionless, because I think they want to hedge their bets on on Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa spearheading future movies. Yes, I I think the idea was that Boseman would uh, take the place of Robert Downey Jr., right? Robert Downey as Iron Man had really been the focal thread, the focal connector of that whole story tree uh, since Iron Man in 2008. But now I think the mantle was supposed to go to Boseman. And as we said, tragedy struck. Uh, but now Kugler has has delivered something that's a bit similar to the first Black Panther in the sense that just taken as a movie, it's a very entertaining action film, uh, very well crafted with some dynamic images. Story could be a little leaner in in my opinion, but but it's 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 a very well done piece of popcorn filmmaking. So I guess the first question is, do we recommend it? Now, on my end, that is actually a hard question to answer. Mm. Because of the place we're in with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, many of these films are either just a studio product or they're fun for what they are or they're very good, but they're inherently intertwined with watching hours of TV and 20 movies. This film, I can actually call it a movie. It actually, for the most part, has like dynamic cinematography, which I can't believe I'm saying for a Marvel movie in 2022. (laughs) Kugler has a voice. I mean, that's important. It it actually has pretty good writing. Actually, um, first of all, for a movie that's two hours and 40 minutes, it's paced well. But also, also, um, a lot of talking. A majority of the film is people talking and they make it engaging. However, with all that being said, I don't think I can recommend it to a larger audience because it expects you to have a lot of emotional baggage and history with the franchise. For a Marvel fan, I would say this is probably on the higher end of what they've done recently. So I'm a bit conflicted. I would say I would sort of recommend it based on a bunch of different caveats. And we'll, we'll let, let, let's elaborate on all of that. So first things first, mm. um, on the do we recommend, we, we, the whole point of this is we don't go deep into plot, but let's just set up the plot so we can help us discuss, you know, performance, pacing, all that, all that other stuff in the movie. Yeah, uh, I would, you know, I, I, I pretty much concur. I would say that uh, in general, I would recommend it only because I, we can assume by now that the massive chunk of the audience that already made it into a $180 million hit um, in its first week uh, had seen the first one. Uh, with these big sequels, uh, a big chunk of your audience is going to be people that already have something invested in the, in the series. What I will say about that, it's, it's still more accessible than the latest Doctor Strange, which yes. I think will become a bit of a cult hit. And, that, and I think I want to use that as a comparison because um, that movie isn't accessible. 
However, when it comes to rewatchability, if you're a Sam Raimi fan, you'll just go in for the wild ride. This film, you don't need to see a bunch of TV shows. I think if you've seen Black Panther and maybe Infinity War, you know, one of the one of those two, you'll still you'll still get something from it. As a long-term rewatchability and the impact it will have as a movie in a couple years' time, I don't necessarily know. Well, I would say that I would compare the Black Panther films right now uh, in a way to the last two uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies in that, yes, they connect to the wider thread of the whole MCU, but you can enjoy them if you're, let's say, primarily a fan of that particular title. Uh, in the MCU franchise. So without spoiling anything, um, and, well, this is not really much of a spoiler, but when you watch Wakanda Forever, there's no references to the blip. There's no references to the last two Avengers. There's no, you know, there's no, um, this is kind of a spoiler, but there's no cameos by, you know, Thor or, you know, or Ant-Man yes. or anyone from no, the other I, movies. I, I, I do appreciate that. I understand the sentiment you're coming from, I still will, however, say that the Guardians of the Galaxy definitely feel way more of their own thing with James Gunn yeah. in the reins. Like, for example, you know, my my dad, he watched the second one and, and enjoyed it as its own mm. thing. I think you can do more of that than you can with Black Panther. However, I will say that Black Panther, it's, it's kind of like on that range. I would say... Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy is in the furthest, but Black Panther's a little bit, it skews a little bit more towards that direction. Yes. I think what they're going for, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, is I think they're trying to set up um, this kind of like Lost Kingdom side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which sure. I think will have a hugely important cultural impact on representation in media. But let's get to that later. Yes. Before uh, we get to that, let, let's talk about the guts of the film a little bit more. No, so you yeah. mentioned the director, Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler, a uh, fantastic filmmaker who, um, as I say, cut his made his bones <laughs> with uh, two very good films, Fruitvale Station, which is an excellent drama, uh, a very self-contained, powerful little drama about a, an actual a police brutality incident that took place um, in the 2000s, highly recommended. Uh, but then he breaks into box office, big box office territory with the first Creed film, uh, which was a sequel, semi a sequel in a way to the Rocky franchise. Legacy sequel, but but yeah. done actually in a smart way. Yes. Um, I, I can't say I loved it, but it was very good. Well, I mean, for what it is, right? As a Rocky film, it's actually very, it's had very strong writing. One good of Stallone's best performances in years. Sylvester Stallone plays uh, his his defining character with this nice emotional heft. Um, and then Coogler transfers to Marvel because as, as Marvel does now, <laughs> the moment you make a hit, Marvel comes calling. And so he does Black Panther uh, in 2018, which becomes a huge hit. I think it was the top grossing film of 2018. I believe so. Was it? Or was it... Um, no, because Infinity no, no, War. I mean, Infinity War came out, but so it's, it was, but it's Marvel didn't realize the success it would have, which was crossing the one billion dollar mark. And we can trace so much culturally to to Black Panther now in terms of film representation. I would even go so far as to say that uh, 
without that combination of pop culture and actual social developments, you wouldn't have what we have now in terms of black representation in cinema. So Black Panther comes out um, as the Black Lives Matters movement, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is still going on. Um, and these historical forces kind of come together to prove that there is an audience for um, more diverse representation and wider representation in movies. After Black Panther is when you see uh, this pattern of films not always fantasy-like, right? I would say without Black Panther, it would have been difficult to make something like Judas and the Black Messiah in the studio uh, system. Uh, years ago, if you wanted to tell a story about the you know the the Black Panthers in the '60s, you would have probably had to go to an indie house or or do a, a low budget now, production. Now I want to piggyback on that point because what Alcy is not saying is that because of Black Panther, now suddenly black voices were being heard. No, that's absolutely not true. There yeah. there have been black voices in successful cinema. Of course, um, box office. Actors, directors, directors, writers, of course, um, and in the indie scene, um, you know, Barry Jenkins made Moonlight, which was probably one of my favorite films, like period, like it it was so profoundly beautiful, and then falls it up with uh, If Beale Street Can Talk, which that's always the the big question, how does someone make follow up? But they didn't make a billion bucks. No, exactly. (laughs) No, exactly. So the point is, (laughs) the point is that. Black voices have always been in cinema. Of course. But what Alcee is saying is that because of Black Panther, the cynical Hollywood cigar-smoking Looney Tune execs now just now felt like, oh, now black voices and bodies can be super marketable and profitable for us. What's called, uh, what's called the mainstream, right? So typically a, a, an excellent film like Moonlight, which is a, it is an amazing movie, and if Beale Street could talk, probably the best James Baldwin adaptation we'll have for a long time in film. Uh, those movies are were always seen as respectable, but as art house objects, right? Even when major black directors like Spike Lee would make magnificent epics like Malcolm X, and one of my favorite, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, it would it was still relegated as as to outlier status, right? Like uh, uh, like it's a good movie, but it's it's that's meant more for a specific crowd. Same thing with Eve's Bio and those kinds and of films. And Steve McQueen. And Steve McQueen's films as well. Um, although I do give him some credit in that you could say th- uh, 13, 12 Years a Slave was a kind of precursor to the success of Black Panther because 12 Years a Slave wins the Best Picture Oscar. It also becomes a box office hit. Again, not not in the billion-dollar territory. Um, it's not it's not a popcorn muncher, right. obviously due to the subject matter. Yeah, and the the tone and the 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 narrative, yes. And but it it laid the groundwork uh, for something like Black Panther to then come in and stake a claim in what I never disparagingly call pop culture. Pop culture is very important. Pop culture will help define perceptions. It will help define what's considered mainstream. It sets fashion. It sets uh, uh, the zeitgeist in a society. Now, however, the pop culture consciousness has definitely taken a nosedive 
and and just to prove we're not cynical, movies like you know Aliens, that's a pop culture blockbuster that's yeah. excellent. Yeah, I mean, one might even make the argument it's almost a perfect movie, but look yeah. at how it set the tone for um, action movies, for horror movies, the look and everything. Marvel has yeah. absolutely done that, especially you know with their pocket franchises, so Guardians of the Galaxy. Black Panther. Well, and the dominance of uh, superhero uh, content or comic book, graphic novel inspired content right now in TV uh, and in film. And of course, you have good and bad, right? Because of the MCU success, uh, you can get a show like The Boys done in, on Amazon or Invincible. But at the same time, you know, you get uh, Black Adam. <laughs> so it's it's always a yin-yang with pop culture. Uh, it's always been that way, including with music, uh, with rock anything, and roll. You know? With anything. Yeah. It's it's not just a black and white. Yeah. It's just, it's not black and white. It just it's it, you can't. And people that try and try and frame it like it's some sort of binary decision, I I think that's completely dishonest. All this preamble out of the way. With Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, yeah, it has a lot of goals it needs to meet. One for Disney, obviously, it needs to make a lot of money. Yeah, which I think opening night had made 180 million. It was it was a record breaker, biggest November opening of all time. Uh, so already uh, expectations on the monetary side have been met. But then the the greater challenge is. How do you continue telling this story without Chadwick Boseman while introducing a new villain or a new antagonist uh, who also is culturally groundbreaking in the sense of pop cultural representation? And, of course, we're talking about uh, Namor. <laughs> Played by uh, Tenoch Huerta. Who, now, before yeah, we even get into yeah. that, um, since we didn't talk so much about like the the film itself, well, let's and, jump. Let's quickly recap the plot a little bit for our mm, fair listeners. enough, fair enough. So they without spoilers, just general context. No, exactly. Uh, so the it starts in Gotham City. In tw- kidding, kidding. <laughs> just Michael kidding. Giacchino's score comes in. It's raining. <laughs> it's it takes raining. place on Halloween. We see people getting mugged. <laughs> it's quite. Wrong movie. Oops, that 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 recap is about eight months <laughs> too late right now. Um, no, but the way it opens is that um, Kugler does find a way to to at least exit the character of T'Challa uh, as played by uh, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, we get a sense that some kind of crisis has taken place, and so T'Challa um, dies, uh, and so in a sense, the main character becomes his sister. Uh, Shuri, who's played by Letitia Wright, who actually suffered an accident on set, like a like a, a an accident that that got a lot of press, but thankfully she's she's okay. Um, and so then Kugler literally says his farewells for us as an audience and for the franchise by giving T'Challa, a, I'll just say, a welcome farewell. Now, now I will say with that, a lot of the marketing has been how the cast and crew have dealt with with Chadwick Boseman's death. I just, after this, I hope everyone can kind of put that to rest because it, it's it's get, it's starting to get to the point for me that it's just feeling a little weird that they are, are, are still marketing him. Just please let Chadwick Boseman yeah. rest. This movie was his farewell. Please stop making money. 
well, off he, him like that, please. Well, well, he's even. I mean, I, I thought that was nice, but yeah, uh, for a one-time thing. For example, the way he's in the, and of course, this isn't a spoiler. By now, a lot of people listening have seen the movie, but uh, he's all over the the opening uh, Marvel icon, the logo yes. when it when it appears. The the now the now iconic Marvel opening logo. He's all over it. Usually, it's different Marvel characters uh, in the logo, but this time it's just Chadwick. Um, well, basically, after the opening of the movie, uh, the narrative then emphasizes that Queen Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett, is now essentially Ooh. representative. Talk of about Wakanda. someone who bears her heart on her sleeve in this movie. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. I mean, she's just a powerhouse of emotion and expression. I I dare say you get the sense that what she's channeling through the character in this sequel is also the genuine sense of loss at losing Chadwick, uh, right? Because you can't escape the fact that you work with this person, you got to know this person, you were making a movie with this person. By all accounts, everyone on set got along in Black Panther. So when she expresses sorrow in the movie, you sense it's very genuine from a very real place uh, inside of her. Uh, so she's representing Wakanda now before the world. And, of course, the world powers are still eager to tap into Wakanda's main natural resource, vibranium. Um, uh, but the narrative then introduces another civilization that also has access to vibranium. And these are the Talokan, who are descended from Mayans in the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, who fled during the Spanish conquest and became an underwater people, now led by uh, Namor, uh, played by Tenoch Huerta, uh, who believes that staying clandestine, basically, is their best way to protect themselves. So that's where his difference is with Wakanda and, comes And let's play. leave it with that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good setup. Um, so once, so there, let, let, let's talk about the things that I liked, uh, first of all. Uh, one, uh, this is probably the first Marvel movie in a long time where I could actually see like a cinematographer, yeah, yeah, behind like working with Kugler. It didn't it didn't feel like everything was just lit and and color graded the same way. Yeah, first of all, that was nice. Two, it actually felt like the script. Someone actually took time to make a okay script. Like, the dialogue yeah. wasn't just totally cringy. It had a couple cringy moments, don't get me wrong. I mean, sure, like any popcorn movie, but, 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 <laughs> but overall it was but very strong. for a movie that's a lot of talking, like a lot of talking, a lot of dialogue and discourse and trying to understand each other, um, I think that's the thing that impressed me the most, that m there are some fantastic ac action sequences, but, like, most of the movie... I would say probably maybe 60% of the movie or more is just people talking and figuring things out. Well, what we can call dramatic moments. So it's it's uh, there's a lot of moments where Kugler lets the plot breathe, right? He lets the narrative breathe instead of – now, what's impressive is the film has very good pacing. So you don't really feel the, the two-plus hours go by. But that's also because every moment of – dramatic tension goes somewhere it's not just uh 
you know, a wannabe Tarantino experiment where people have random long monologues or something. Now, what I will say about that, because I've thought about this a lot, and something just with the movie felt me, I don't know, felt lacking or, or there was just something, there was a piece missing to why Black Panther Wakanda Forever didn't break the comic book mold. I would say something like the Batman to me is a genuinely good movie. Black Panther doesn't quite break through that. And I think the biggest thing for me was that Black Panther, a lot of its interesting ideas, let's just say in literary terms, it 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 formed a couple very nice sentences, but it didn't complete the thought. It didn't follow through on its more interesting ideas on or flesh out more on the ideas of of grief and um and different uh major uh, powers, current powers, trying to claim resources for themselves. It, it, it had a couple thoughts about that. Well, you're hitting the nail on the head, which is that I, I think what happens with the plot of this movie is that Kugler is trying to juggle a lot of responsibilities with the franchise, right? One, he has to find a way to say goodbye to Bozeman and give him the send-off he deserves. Two, he wants to explore this uh, richer subtext of what happens when developing countries with natural resources are, in a sense, pitted against each other uh, because they're both coveted by the big world powers. Um, in this case, again, without spoiling, you can kind of guess the United States right? <laughs> wants, wants Wakanda's vibranium. Well, there's a, there's a great line, and this is this not spoiling the movie. It's kind of out of context. Uh, Martin Freeman's character, who was in the first Black Panther, the CIA, he well, tells CIA guy with another character in the film. Um, it's it's like what, like do you not understand that if the U.S. had all this vibranium, we would never let anyone touch it either? And the character responds, "Yes, yes, that's exactly what we want." And it's a, and it's a fantastic uh, example of how pop art comments on very real things. Vibranium could be a stand-in for. Uh, Oil, oil, uh, copper in Bolivia, silver in Peru. I mean, it's it's a huge. It, it, there's so much subtext in there, and of course, Cooler is trying to balance all this, I right? Can't follow through. Now, it isn't as hackneyed and and just blatantly thrown in as other worse well, or off pop culture but, things. But the but, thing is, that's always going to be the Achilles heel of the MCU, right? Which is that he wants to explore these themes. But within the demands of what's now a massive global franchise, right? So, for example, um, he also has to introduce a new antagonist, right, in, in the in the character of Namor. Okay, well, now you also have to tie that into Wakanda, and then you have to, at the same time, above all of this, make a very entertaining action movie, Uh so it's it's very difficult uh, to juggle all this together, and yet somehow he still makes, in the end of the day, a very good entertainment. Well, I think that's a that's a really important point you're making. The movie it's not it's not a mess, right? Not at all. Far from it, right? It's not like something like the su- uh, not the Suicide Squad, the James Gunn movie, but Suicide Squad. It's nothing like that. Oh no, not even close. Come on. What, what I'm talking about are are things that would have perhaps taken Wakanda Forever 
into a new sphere of its own, something that transcends its medium. That's what we're talking about. Yes, um, which, of course, is very hard to do, especially for sequels. Only a few sequels have been able to pull it off in the pop culture sphere. I'm thinking of, obviously, Dark Knight, Empire Strikes Back. These are those rare Godfather Part Two. These are those rare sequels that somehow expand into something just as influential and groundbreaking as the first movie. Batman and Robin. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I will. I will give that. You know, that's one of the defining bad movies of the nineties. That's uh, that one. Uh, although, come on, the production design on that movie is is, is slaps, as they say. No, um, but but yeah, no, no, no. But no, but, but being being serious, no, that's that's one of uh, the that that's definitely one of one of the elements. I mean, I will. So we've we've mentioned it uh, multiple times, but this film is introducing, and I don't know if they'll keep doing this, but they're like secret kingdoms on Earth. Yeah, uh, Wakanda is uh, Afrofuturism that we saw obviously now in I was going to say two movies, but including Infinity War. Yeah. And a little bit of civil war, and now we're being introduced to this underwater. It's not Atlantis; they call it Talocan, which is based on uh, Maya and Aztec culture. And the thing that impressed me the most, first of all, the backstory of Namor—that sequence with the music—that was really and cool. how they deal with colonialism. And and once again, it's one of those things with the character, which if you don't know, he's he he's. He's an interesting anti-hero because he uh, he will mess people up and he unashamedly will just kill people in the comics. And they started to go that way, but then they pulled back because, of course, Disney. But how they set up his backstory is very interesting. And the fact that in this movie, um, all the Talocan people uh, speak... Um, the, the indigenous uh, Mayan language, and it's it's. Uh, I was shocked that they would do that because you know what the cliche is that like in movies like this because they think people are dumb, they 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 start speaking the language, but then they do that thing where like, um, uh, they the the subtitles like transition into English, and but, then it's like we're but listening you know, to English. I, I have noticed a trend though, a positive trend over the last uh, few years, at least the last eighteen years or so, which is that. After the success of of streaming and making international films and international TV uh, global and mainstream for audiences, but of course credit has to go where it's due. <laughs> After the success of films like uh, uh, Apocalypto and and Passion of the Christ. Uh, uh, by the now eternally exiled Mel Gibson, and then and and uh, I mean of course we have to well we'll get into other films uh, soon enough, but um, because of the mainstream success of those uh, shows and even fantasy shows, you know like Game of Thrones, right, where people speak in made up uh, uh, languages from those worlds, but they're always subtitled, giving you that sensation of being in another place in another time. Now I think audiences would have been a little weirded out if. Black Panther had had gone that route, right? Of of not letting the indigenous characters speak in their own language, and you know the film even goes a little further and comments on the Spanish conquest, and 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 it and it touches on the aftershocks of colonialism and how uh, 
Namor's uh, violent streak. It's not. To, it's not because oh he's a psychopath or something. It's because he sees it as the only option to protect his people, to protect his community um, from further encroachment and from from colonial dominance. And you know, it got me thinking of how movies that have been made uh, in the past, like uh, uh, for example, the, the other conquest, which we've mentioned before on this podcast by by your dad and by longtime friend Salvador. Carrasco, uh, and you know films in that vein that have been coming out. Now you're starting to see the influence of that going into the mainstream, because now all of a sudden we're having these major Disney films talking about events like the Conquest, the roots of the Americas, where do we come from, uh, where does Latin America come from, um, why does someone like Namor uh, fear uh the outside let's just call them what they are the the european or white powers uh that are threatening his people that's the richer subtext in the movie i wish there had been more of it i actually think namor's a little underused precisely because of what we're talking about follow through Yeah. yeah no it's it's such a good point and i think in terms of cultural impact in the next 10 years or so for better and for worse as all things are We'll start seeing a lot more content in books, video games, movies, TV that feature the indigenous uh, groups of Latin America in this country. There's probably going to be a Zapatista movie now. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) look, look, like like 15, 20 years ago, the idea of like Norse mythology being such a huge thing in pop culture, like that was always kind of like the little nerdy thing. Yeah. Now we're in this oversaturation, uh, which we talked about in our Northman episode and yeah. and actually getting an accurate portrayal of how like Norse people are. Norse culture has been very much diluted. It's been Disney-fied, so to speak. But, you know, the nice thing is, though, I, I think audiences, and this is why I don't slam um, pop, good pop culture like Black Panther uh, because, oh, it's a, it's a comic book movie or it's oh, a graphic oh, oh, novel is movie. Is it because it's... Is it woke, Elsie? Is it woke? <laughs> that word means nothing anymore. No, exactly. So what the credit I always give these kinds of movies is that people who become genuinely fascinated uh, will walk out of this movie and, you know, they're aware it's a fantasy, but because they're genuinely intrigued, they might then go look up Mayan culture or pick up a book on the subject or go online and do some some heavy reading on on Mayan mythology and Mayan uh, civilization. It sounds a bit romantic, but that is what happens. People consume something that's, good. and That's yeah. the positive effect pop culture can have. Yeah. Of course, like all things, which is why I said for better or for worse, yes, all sorts of corporations will cynically just try and pump out all sorts of content. Sure. sure. But on the other hand, we'll also see a lot of indigenous actors get hired and have their voice you know in, what? in the mainstream. And I, I think that 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 is being progressive. And you know what? I and will, major roles. We're not talking about those bullshit, oh, they're just a side character. That doesn't count. No, but I will give Coogler credit to that. Now that you brought that up, the casting, uh, we don't get the, um, you know what, let's just, let's just be honest about it, even in films like Apocalypto. That's why we do, um, that's why we do this podcast, yeah, to be honest. Of, a lot of indigenous characters tend to, they play it safe and they'll cast a mestizo, 
uh, a role. For those who don't know what that means, it's a uh, a, a Latino, but of uh, of mixed indigenous and and European lines, which well, most of us who are Latino are. I mean, that's just the history of <laughs> that's just the history of the continent. But Kugler actually casts um, indigenous actors for the role well, when, who spoke you know, Spanish and um, Mayan and Mayan. So, so you see in these scenes where uh, Namor is talking about the origins of his people. You see the roles played by actual indigenous actors. And I think, and and we'll have to confirm this, but the, the, the lady, the actress who plays his mother in that flashback, I think that was the actor from La Llorona. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. That, 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 I mean, the movie became such a cool art house I, hit. That actually, that, you know, the more I think about that sequence as a little vignette that you can just show people like it, mm. when it goes on YouTube or Disney Plus it's actually very beautifully done no, it is very well done it's no. actually extremely poetic and as I said the song that plays and well, the imagery and the way he speaks about it it actually feels like the actor once again is putting his heart into the, the lines the, which is more than I can say for Marvel in a very 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 long time there's a great folk indigenous song um, during that sequence Arboles Bajo El Mar You know, the the thing about what you just brought up about that sequence, like a lot of the better parts of the movie, is that Kugler, and this is where you can compare him to Raimi in the, the latest Doctor Strange, Kugler and Raimi feel like they're actually trying to make a movie, like a, a like a good make their movie. movie. Let's yes, yes, they're, they're yes. I mean, yeah, they have to follow the the certain constraints of the franchise, but they're actually trying to make a movie. And there's actually a sense of style in this film. I love the way more than even the first Black Panther, which I know got a lot of criticism that when the after the trailers came out, like Disney touched things up for the first Black Panther to make it look worse. I think they didn't do this based on the importance of what this movie is for a lot of people. Yeah, like the scenes where uh, the the Talokan warriors appear, and we won't spoil how, but it's shot so stylishly and with such atmosphere and, and very good editing. Well, if you took still images, I mean, there's actually, you know what? There are some shots that are actually breathtaking to look at. Uh, they're very even the final battle. You know, every Marvel movie, and and I won't spoil how it goes well, down. No but, spoilers. But every Marvel if you've movie, seen it in the trailer, we're referencing that stuff for the most stuff. part. Okay. But the uh, let's just say, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that every Marvel movie ends with a big uh, battle, right? And I won't say exactly how it takes place in the movie, but. The final battle in Wakanda Forever actually has a sense of scope. It actually, you know, it, it's not just a mishmash of crashing buildings it and It has some originality cities. to it. Yeah. And even Shuri's arc, which was pretty good. Um, it's not my, fi- I see what they were going for, but I didn't necessarily buy the emotions behind yeah. it. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it, it, to me, didn't have the impact I thought it would have. And her journey and the people that she meets 
no spoilers, not only was surprising, but led to an interesting turn for what her version of Black Panther is and who she wanted to be after the movie. Yes. Without spoiling anything, but when she fights, there's a sense of uh, aggression and anger in there. Well, other critics have brought up an interesting point that I agree with with this uh, movie, which is that it's one of the few Marvel films that also does a very good job dealing with the the theme of grief. Um, and I think that even helps it overcome some of its rougher edges. I would edges. say very good. I'd say pretty good. Pretty good. Yes, yes. Um, it's a, it's It does a good job touching on that subject matter. How does Shuri deal with the grief of losing a family member, her brother, and then having to carry the weight of Wakanda, right? Of of being part of this bigger civilization, this important country, and of course she's she's the daughter of the queen. How does the queen process losing a child and being responsible for Wakanda before the whole world? It, it when it works, when it works, it does the best thing that good graphic novels do, which is taking these fantasy uh, worlds and making them very relatable and and emotionally uh, convincing. And the, the movie does a, a good job at conveying that sense of how does one overcome loss uh, within the context of an action film. And it's the same for the Namor character in some nice subtle ways. That's kind of how he can end up connecting in a way with the people of Wakanda as well. You have these two societies that should be in conflict, but they both suffer from a sense of loss and from a sense of, of oppression, right, of having to fight against the bigger, the bigger fish, the bigger powers uh, out there. So it's subtext that, you know, I, I, I tell uh, friends when they ask about this movie, what my negatives of, of it are. I think it's an interesting case of a movie that has so many good things to offer that because it can't give massive space to each one, that's where its shortcomings come in. But that was that was my reference yeah. earlier. It 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 makes a couple complete sentences yeah. on what it wants to say, but it doesn't complete the thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I felt was missing it's which cramped. is very interesting right because a lot of movies it's either they either completely miss the mark on including it or not including it in the first place yeah or they just pepper it in like they literally have one line about it and according to people that either makes it about that particular thing or 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 not or some movies are so bad because they're the length of wakanda forever but they have nothing to say it's it's a very interesting yeah. comparison. Yeah. But but it, it as I said, yeah. it begins to say things. Yeah. And at points it does say things, but it doesn't it doesn't fall through to have that weighty emotional arc. And and I'm already thinking of movies like Pig, which for me was one of, if not the best movie of last year, which deals with grief in a very thoughtful and moving way that yeah. chokes you up and and it and and it finds a way to follow through and it finds a way to to have an arc that resolves a natural way and i think i'll see mentioned something that how 
the conflict resolves itself in Wakanda Forever for me was conf- was confusing. Let's yeah. just say without spoilers, it just kind of like it just kind of just stops. Brick walls. Yeah, yeah, it just stops. <laughs> and you're just wondering, well, based on what we saw and some of the ideas presented, why why would it end like uh, this? Yeah, that's where again I think that falls into the the traps of the franchise demands, right? Where I think a lot of these Marvel films avoid uh, a full, at least now, in the post, you know, Infinity Wars, Endgame era, they have a hard time finding a way to do a complete circle because now they're expected to always be open-ended for the next one, right? So we won't say how this one ends, but I bet you it'll resolve, it'll it'll continue to the next big one. We'll say without spoilers... How the movie ends was another surprising thing. The the movie ends actually very, very quietly. Yes. Actually, I think it is completely quiet at the end of the movie. Yes. Which I thought was 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 very touching. And p- some people in my my theaters did start to cry. And I know some people on principle, like think it's silly that people do that. But based on the way it was presented, I can I can see that. And I think it's great that film can touch people in that way. So I'm actually surprised that Marvel took the time to to do that. Once again, we're not going to spoil anything, but if you've seen it or are going to see it, you'll 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 know. Uh, I'll just say Rihanna is connected to it. What, ooh, by the way, that song, <laughs> "Lift Me Up," yeah, oh, uh, that not was, yeah. not great, not great, my guy. Um, no. uh, the the song that played in the credits from the original movie, so much better. The SZA song. Oh, this one was not not. Well, I, it was very know, tacky. I, I think they were trying hard to. I, again, the he's trying to juggle so much, and I think the ending was the classic case of. You remember Fast Fast and the Furious when they say goodbye to. Uh, Oh, but that was good. Yeah. The song is I thought it wasn't that kind of vain, no, right? <laughs> the song was was better though. But yeah. I I will yeah. say, actually, speaking of music. My man, Ludwig Gornson, comes back. Oh, the score. The score, yeah. And I don't know if he outdoes himself, but he expands many of the ideas from the first Black Panther, adding some of the the Mayan sound. They they there's like uh oh my gosh, they have this like whistling sound. That was really cool. That that the that the uh, Talokan people do, and then there's this uh, uh like screaming voice that almost sounds like a panther, uh for for some of uh some moments in Black Panther, which like. I was playing in the car the other day, and the people in the car were like, "Whoa, that's really good!" No, so it's he, fantastic. he 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 completely nails it. Even uh, uh, Shuri's new theme that they use. Um, oh well, that one was as co- Black Panther is like really, it's pretty sick actually. Hardcore electronic and well, it's almost a uh, vintage. There's a there's a throwback uh, feel in a lot of recent Marvel scores. Uh, and a, a lot of recent action movies, I would say, where they try to throw back to 80 synth sounds from from action films. And in Marvel, it really begins with uh, Thor Ragnarok. And now here you really see it culminate in that 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 scene. Again, we don't want to spoil, but there's a great se- there's a soaring scene. I'll say with 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 Shuri, where like the music kicks into this amazing synth uh, synth crescendo. Um, yeah, great score. I mean, definitely and, one of the best action and scores. And then, of course, of the, the costumes, uh, which uh, the music won uh, best score in the 2019 Oscars, as did the costume design. And, of course, all that stuff. 
it's back. on point no, on point visually it's a great film and then I, I was thinking of another another element in the way the the story is a bit crammed it's also because it has to make space for other characters that are almost like just as fun to follow as comic relief i was just thinking about that like ca director valentina allegra de fontaine who's played by seinfeld's julia louis dreyfus uh who's so so funny in the movie she she plays this uh hard-edged <laughs> cia director who who doesn't hold back uh in her in her uh saucy commentary um or her biting jokes so she was really good um and then and then there's lupita nyong'o we haven't talked about lupita nyong'o as 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 nakia the who's essentially the spy in the story and again no spoilers but her character has a very interesting arc and and she does some you know just really interesting things with the character and there's like a great little extra espionage thriller hiding there that Kugler also has to make space for uh but she's very good. and she's also processing grief in an interesting way she's also processing the loss of T'Challa in her own that, way that's the big question is you wonder why you don't see her which is addressed in the movie, which I thought was good. And there's I, Baku also, played by Winston Duke. Oh, he's, Duke. So, he's great. so great. Actually, he has a very nice little character arc in that compl- that totally picks up from the first Black Panther movie. Yeah. And yeah. his and I, I was about to say a spoiler. <laughs> I was about to say a spoiler, but it's very good. Well, I, when he dukes it out with Hulk, I mean, that's that's some some people prob- probably <laughs> think that you're joking, but he's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, no, he really does duke it out with with uh, no, but um, some kind of <laughs> no. But, but kidding, you see, but, yeah. but like he's also juggling all that, which is all done well, but it all goes back to the follow through, and it's still being a studio movie, and yeah. things need to be cut for to make room for new characters. There's one yeah. new character who gets this whole side arc in in the movie, which is not bad, but like. You know. Well, yeah, it's it's the, the it's the concessions, right? I think film scholars in the future will probably do some interesting studies in how the MCU uh, juggled that fine line between art and commerce, right? And of course, some snobs are well, going to roll their eyes. Oh, uh, let's be, like, be real. Lately, it's like mostly felt like commerce. Yes, absolutely. Well. I I will still defend some of their TV work. I I thought uh, I thought Werewolf at Midnight was was visually interesting, um, and uh, the the was it uh, Miss Marvel had you know some interesting moments. The Marvel shows tend to kind of go off the rails by the season finale, uh, but but there's interesting stuff. One Division is still their best. Yes, One Division is the, the hands peak. down their best. Definitely, except the peak. for the last episode, which sucked. Like most, I kind of like She Hulk. She Hulk was fun. She Hulk was, you know, it was again. What what I like about the Marvel shows is that they they mess around a lot more with aesthetic. Uh, the Marvel movies get all this. Uh, slack for looking the same. The TV shows are kind of where the creators are allowed to indulge in some aesthetic experiments. Like She-Hulk is Ally McBeal, but, but with a y- superhero. You know tinge. what's funny? And I was thinking, I've been thinking about this as we've been talking. I think the problem with the, the TV shows is those should have actually been movies. And something like Wakanda Forever would have made an excellent like four or five part miniseries yeah no it would have been excellent like because then you could have tackled like one episode which is 
just espionage or one episode that's just politics. Like that would have been perfect for even six, seven, eight episodes. And I feel like that's what it wanted to do so badly. But once again, it's not that it was a mess, but I guess at a certain point Marvel said, all right, you said enough about this that is cohesive. We need to move on and wrap everything up. Yeah, like we still need to give the audience what they expect, right? Oh, Um, by the way, we didn't even talk about that. The action scenes, some of the more creative stuff I've seen. I still think Shang-Chi had the best fight scenes in recent memory for Marvel, but this had some very creative set pieces. No, this one had uh, uh, excellent uh, uh, imaginative set pieces for the action. It didn't feel recycled. Even when you have a car flipping over and exploding in this movie, it still felt skillfully done uh, like John Woo in his better days. Uh, And I know that's kind of a wild comparison, but I think Coogler, if you were to really let Coogler do uh, an action film without the full constraints of a franchise, he probably could do something that matches... uh, directors like uh, John Woo uh, at their peak, right? And, uh, you know, you may scoff all you like, but Face Off, for example, is an excellent piece of of action cinema. Um, But going back to the constraints of a major franchise, yeah, that's that's the eternal question. How, how How does Marvel continue to promote originality but not make every movie feel like it's just going to give you the equivalent of a McDonald's <laughs> order, right? Because that's kind of what some of the recent ones have felt like. Where, More, yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. I mean, even Eternals. You know, Eternals that, is still one of the most confusing Marvel yeah. <laughs> things they've ever put out. Yeah, I still, was... I still can't tell you if I like it or not. I can't because it's just so bizarre. I, I've, I've settled on the fact that I like the photography, the the wannabe Terrence Malick uh, as <laughs> look of the movie, but I, 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 I cannot get into the the story. But at even all look and... at something like you know Spider Man, um, No Way Home, right? Man, what a fun experience! But like. It I, it just doesn't it doesn't have that look like someone put the time and effort to make a really nice looking movie. Oh, all but, the shots are just so flat and commercial. Well, because and, the know. the selling point there, the selling point in in the last Spider Man was the concept, right? I think which is almost just, a year yeah. old, by the way. Can you believe that? <sighs> Times flies, man. I can't even believe. Actually, the... I think Eternals. By now is exactly a year old. Yeah, no, no, no. Eternals talk is, about well, not having a lasting <laughs> pop culture influence. Yikes! Oh man, and uh, but I, I, I will say that the Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. The thing with that one though is that it you you said it. It's an experience. That one really all it was was selling on the concept, right? Um, I don't think you can even talk about that movie, which I thought was, for what it was, was it was an excellent entertainment. But that's what it is. It's an excellent entertainment. You can't really get into anything as deep as what we've been getting into with Wakanda forever with that movie. Outside of the Spider-Man world, anyway. Sure. Within the Spider-Man world, you can talk Look, about Peter Parker. Pe- and, people and still this. get mad at Scorsese for saying it, but he's right. I'm not. I'm not going to say he's a hundred percent right on every on 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 how the how his point leads to all pop culture stuff. But yeah, like a lot of these 
Marvel movies, even DC too, it, you are taken on a roller coaster ride, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to understand what you're watching. And that yeah. that's why in this episode, me trying to, I can't outright recommend this movie, nor can I outright dismiss this movie. I can't say like blonde, something like Blonde, which is like, what a miserable piece of filmmaking. Well, nor, nor is it something like uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is like, go out and see it now. I'm kind of split because think, of all the things we're, we're talking about here. I think if here. you're into Marvel, if you're into this kind of movie, I definitely recommend it. It's an excellent film. I always approach uh, the films, any film I watch, by what it's trying to do, what it's trying to accomplish, and also who it's trying to reach. Is this a, a very good Marvel film? Yes. Is, is it a, a, a an admirable piece of of pop art taken from the graphic novel world or or you know from the Marvel world, right? Of of, of the comics? Yes. Well, definitely better than most. Yeah. If graphic novel movies, if Marvel movies are not your cup of tea. Well, I mean, you're not going to like this or Spider-Man. I well, mean, no, no, that, but, be, but no, but that's the know. point I'm making. I think this is slightly more accessible. I, I think even if you're not into, let's say if you're, you're casually into Marvel, like you'll catch a couple of the big movies, you could probably enjoy this. And sure. even if you don't like Marvel, you don't really follow at all, I think there's space for for elements to enjoy. It's not, yeah, I, you know, it's almost like, um, I, I, it's not a direct comparison because I think in terms of cinema, it's a, it's a better film overall, but uh, it reminds me of a, of a review I read of Skyfall uh, when it first came out where the writer said, uh, even if you're not into James Bond, this is a good one for you to jump into, right? Like, this is a good exactly. Bond one to watch. But you know? you know what? It transcends the medium. Yeah. I can watch Skyfall just on its own. I could just pop it in Blu-ray or watch it on VOD and just be like, damn, what a finely crafted well movie. And I think that's the point I'm making with Wakanda Forever. No, it doesn't do that. But it's also not as inaccessible as trying to catch up on Spider-Man, No Way Home. Or the Doctor Strange. Or Eternals or, or, or something. I would say, I would say, and the point I made earlier, I think with Doctor Strange, I think people will come back to it and enjoy it as a Sam Raimi film. But, like, if you start asking questions about why is Doctor Strange doing this, yeah, you're going to be totally lost. But sequels always, I mean, you know, sequels always uh, run that risk anyway because uh, even great sequels, if you were to watch um, Godfather 2, let's say, on its own without ever having watched Godfather 1, you could probably still enjoy it as, as a film in terms of how it's crafted, how it's acted. There's a plot within it. But you're not going to get all of it because there are references you know to what? the previous That's movie. That's a great comparison. I think especially with Wakanda Forever. No, we're not saying it's the same thing. Not even remotely. We're just that's what an analogy is. We're saying that the the context for it. Yep. I would say, okay, this is the way I would say it. I would say I would recommend it with with so many caveats. If you already are going to go and watch the Marvel stuff, this is definitely one of the much better things yep. they put out in recent memory. It actually feels like I'm watching a real movie and not a product. Something like 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 Andor, 
that actually feels like a real TV show, yeah. I'd say that's better than Black Panther. And to, that's a whole other conversation for the average audience because I think we need to address that too. If you're making a film, anyone, if they want to ask, should I go see this? I would say maybe... I would say that if it comes out on Disney Plus or something, definitely check it out. It's it's pretty good. I would say right now, if you're thinking about watching in theaters, hold off on it. Well, I would say... I would not dismiss it. Well, that's, that, you know, that's the thing I'm going to point out. You know, you know what's the simpler piece of advice, though? I, I would say if you're thinking of, gonna, of going to watch this one... Go on Disney Plus and watch the first one. <laughs> go go watch the first Black Panther first. Let's say you're not into Marvel movies as hardcore as everyone else. Give the first one a shot. If you like the first Black Panther, then go see this one. For for the non-initiated I think, yeah. Marvel. For, for just yeah. average audience. Yeah. Um, from anyone who doesn't know Marvel or people who just think that Marvel movies on principle aren't real movies, as we've... As we're trying to put out there, we never try and take that view, but we also are trying to address everybody on how and, to approach this. And so, you know what? Black Panther, the the original, the 2018 Black Panther, that's a good one to start if you've if you've never watched a Marvel movie. That's that's actually a good one to that one and the first Iron Man. The, those are two good ones to jump into if you're not familiar with the territory. Again, because Black Panther one is just an excellent excellent piece of pop art and action cinema. Um, and if you want to immerse yourself in important recent culture, it's a good one to watch. I remember um, going to see it uh, at uh, at a theater called The Rave here in L.A., and it was a mostly black audience, and the impact was so stirring of the movie that the whole front row started fist-pumping and chanting, I'm black and I'm proud, I'm black and I'm proud, and uh, the woman sitting next to me, who was this, uh, uh, I guess uh, you could say elderly, this elderly uh, black American woman, you know, started all of a sudden talking to me about the need uh, for equality and the need for for everyone to have a voice in movies. So the impact of that first movie alone makes it worth checking out. And if you like it, this is the way I, I, I've been telling everybody since seeing it. It's a worthy follow-up. If you like the first one, this is a, a, a very worthy follow-up to it. And I'll also say to piggyback on that point before we call it for today, I hope anybody uh, who's indigenous uh, from Central America, South America, in this country, I hope you see this, or if you do see this movie or you hear about the impact of this movie, if you've ever had to, quote-unquote, hide your indigenousness for any reason or have ever felt ashamed because there are assholes out there who just on principle yeah. hate everything. I I hope <laughs> this gives you a sense of yeah. like of of pride. Yeah, and one thing I will give props to Disney for is how you know, we, we can raise our, we can scoff or raise our noses at these big corporate brands who who make these movies. But you know what? At least they're doing it, right? So, uh, well, well, Disney has done it before badly, which is why the whole woke campaign 
this one they actually put effort. This no, one sure, they actually sure. took the time to s- do it. Sure, it's much better. Well, it's not Pocahontas, right? There's no talking trees. <laughs> you know, the Tanoch doesn't have a a a, a, a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> on his shoulder giving him advice or something. So it's nice to see that that progress. Uh, and one one thing I saw recently in East L.A. that I thought was was cool in its own way was uh, Disney put up a mural uh, in, a, in a Chicano style, that classic L.A. Chicano mural style uh, promoting the movie. And that's that's cool. That's 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 actually really nice, especially, you know, we we won't get too controversial today, but but. Uh, in light of the you know the recent LA City Council developments uh, regarding uh, race relations in the city, it's kind of nice to see uh, a major brand uh, promoting cross-cultural uh, relations and 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 general community unity through through pop art uh, by doing projects like that. Um, so, and I hope other yeah. talent and filmmakers take that further. Yes, yes. Like why why can't we have a movie set in? Bolivia. Why can't we have a movie set in Inca, in Incan Peru, uh, pre-conquest? Why, why, uh, or or the contemporary Inca community, um, which is still, uh, which has been the subject of some interesting Latin American films. Well, Ixcacul, right? Ixcacul, The Milk of Sorrow. Um, uh, the, there's uh, one called uh, uh, Made in USA. That's the whole about life in the uh, altiplano. And, and you know what? Even uh, hip-hop artists. Yeah. Uh, there's this uh, Puerto Rican rapper called Residente who mm. did this, in my opinion, incredible yeah. music video called um, This Is Not America that everyone should go check out. I mean, even, once again, even if you don't like hip-hop, the, the music video itself oh, it's is astonishing. Stunning, and, stunning. And, and And read the lyrics and also addresses those issues. Stunning. And hopefully a movie like this uh, will impulse projects. It's not it's, – like we were saying earlier, it's not that these stories haven't been told. You know what it is? It's that a movie like this helps give them the platform they deserve, the, the, the access – they deserve so it doesn't become uh so difficult to find uh excellent films about um indigenous america absolutely so after all that um that's our do we recommend as we broke down it's 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 more complicated in terms of recommending but i'd say in general we lean towards the more positive side we didn't watch it like thor love and thunder we're like this is the worst <laughs> like this is genuinely yeah. this is or genuinely blonde. like <laughs> trash well yeah. no in thor love and thunder there wasn't even the 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 technical uh aspect of it where you're like wow that's amazing except for bow the dumpling god Except for Bow the Dumpling God. Um, no, but, but yeah, as we said, it's complex, and hopefully the right kinds of things come from this. And, and the most important is that, first of all, once again, black voices continue to be developed yeah. in the mainstream in any capacity, books, comic books, artists, all that stuff. And and now same with uh, indigenous uh, indigenous Aztec Maya all that stuff. And it's uh, fitting since uh, we are releasing this episode in November, which is uh, you know we know what's coming up. Uh, some call it Thanksgiving, we call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, but it's uh, it's it's a good time to reflect on all this. 
Uh, and coming up soon as well, we will finally be releasing the second episode in our big uh, Chronicles of Man series, um, which is a, a big overview of the work of director Michael Mann. We've been hard at work prepping that big second episode um, for you all. And also we will be keeping you up to date on the big award season films that are coming up. And um, the big, yeah. big films coming out. Uh, yeah. You know, we still we still have uh, the second half of November and December, but uh, the big blue elephant creature in the room. <laughs> Obviously, James Cameron's uh, new movie is coming out. Avatar. And, you know, we'll, we'll check it out. Way do another do we recommend and then uh and for also, the for the rest of the year um aside from our big Michael Mann episode where we're going to break down his early career going up to 1986 uh we'll probably do a big end of the year breakdown of the entire year of films go through all everything. the movies we saw and it's going to be a lot predictions wow. for Oscars and don't worry guys we will be doing another Oscar episode which will be really fun but this will be just talking about favorite movies of the year, all that good stuff. We'll be a lot more relaxed. We'll have some eggnog, all that good stuff. So make sure to follow us on our, all our socials. We'll leave them in the link tree down below to keep up to date. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Have a great one, everybody. We will be back here with Mr. Man. Peace. <laughs>